All right, everybody. How y'all doing? Good. Uh, we got lots of tables uh, and chairs here in the front. If everybody wants to make their way to a uh, table or chair here. Um, I'm glad that everybody's here today. It's the new year. Everybody excited for the new year or no? No? Yes? No? Uh, you know, there was a lot of ripping on 2016 on social media. It was kind of like a trend this year. Did you notice that? Anybody? Like, it started a few months ago when I saw somebody post um, a post that it said, is uh, Quentin Tarantino directing 2016? <laughs> and I was like, well, that's a, that's a funny statement. Um, and in kind of the larger realm, right, with the shootings and things that have happened in 2016, um, 2016 is kind of looked back at negatively. And I don't know what kind of year you had Personally, um, 2016 was a good year for me, but um, I'm looking forward to 2017. So far in 2017, I've been sick and had to put my dog down. So I'm hoping it is, you know, this is the bottom of 2017. It's going to be uphill from here for me personally. Uh, Yeah, my dog got crazy cancer out of nowhere and had to put him down. So let's hope for better things than that this year. Amen. (laughs) So it's a new year and we're starting a new series. Before we get to that, I want to encourage all of you to get on your phones and just text away and get on social media. No, I'm kidding. Uh, get on your phones and get to our app and go to the sermon notes. It is the best way to follow along. We don't have the Bibles on the tables today. Some of the scriptures will be on the screen, but it really is the best way to follow along. And there's questions in there. And um, I would encourage you to use the app and the sermon notes because you can answer those questions, you can fill it out, and you can email it to yourself. And, you know, they say if you write it down, you're way more likely to remember it. And I think that this series is of really high importance for us. This series is really important for us because it is going to be our vision series. It's going to be five weeks, and we're going to be in the Lord's Prayer. Can we get that slide up? Um, We'll be in the Lord's Prayer today, and we're going to be going over this for five weeks. And really what we find here is that Jesus gives this prayer in response to the disciples asking him to teach them to pray. And in this, Jesus teaches them to pray, and he also gives us this this prayer that's really a model for how we should think and view life, and it's a model in which we see God first and then kind of ourselves second, and so Jesus gives us, and it has so much power, and I'm so excited to preach, and we're going to be in it for five weeks, and all of the community groups are going to be in the same um, series for this five weeks. We're going to pause from our other things that community groups are doing, and each community group is going to... Um, really answer questions and go through scriptures that are directed to, directed to each week's topic that we have on Sunday. And really this is for us to be united in vision and prayer as we come to this new year and hope to see God do amazing things in our own personal lives, in this city, and in our church. Amen? So if you'll pray with me real quick, and then we're going to dive into the Lord's Prayer. Lord, thank you for all you have done. God, you have been so good to us. Um, Lord, I don't, I don't know what 2016 was like for every single person, but Lord, you have been good no matter what. And Lord, as we look to 2017, Lord, we're, we're coming to you humbly in this series. We're saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to think. Teach us to act. God, um, we, we, we don't want to assume we know how to do things. We want to come to you humbly and ask you how should we live? How should we pray? How should we view our city? How should we view our church? And as we come in 2017, we would would receive from you, each of us personally, what our lives should look like this year. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. 
So we're going to do something new for this series. Um, we're all going to stand together and we're going to read the Lord's Prayer. Um, are we having some problems uh, with the some technical issues? Dead computer? Okay. Right on. <laughs> uh, everybody gets in some way. Oh, we might have it. No, okay. Everybody in some way, I swear they were there. We typed them up last night. <laughs> they were there earlier this like hour. Um, wow, great start. Okay, everybody in one form or another, get to the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be doing it in the New King James Version instead of the ESV. We're normally in the ESV. For this series, we're going to be in the New King James Version. The last week, I'll explain why. So you're going to have to wait a whole five weeks to find out why we're in a different version. But if everybody will stand, we're going to read this together in the New King James Version. All right, this is new for us. It's probably going to be a little messy the first time. But as we do it over the next four weeks reading this together, I'm hoping on the fifth week, none of us will have to look at anything and we'll just be able to recite it from memory together. All right. It is on the screen now. Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, you guys can take a seat. All right, so we have this prayer that Jesus gives. And the disciples had asked Jesus how to pray. Now, why did the disciples ask Jesus how to pray? I mean, they're somewhat along in their ministry now. You think they would have already asked that. But they asked him because I assume they had seen the connection between Christ's prayer life and his power. They had seen the connection between his prayer and his actions. They had seen the connection between his prayer and his relationship with the Father. And when they saw how he prayed and how his prayer influenced every other part of his life, they must have at some point said, Jesus, teach us to pray. It's life-changing for you. It, it, it dominates everything you do. Your prayer life with the Father is so powerful. Teach us to pray. I mean, they grew up as Jews. Most of these guys would have known how to pray. They would have already been taught how to pray. So why are they going to Jesus and asking him how to pray? It's because they're seeing something that he has that is different than what they have. And so he responds with this prayer. He responds with this prayer. And this prayer is not, the idea isn't for him, um, he's not teaching us just to recite this and only this and only ever prayer, pray this. He's telling us a model and a mindset in which we pray. You know, and it really begins with us looking at who we're praying to. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then it's his will and his kingdom. And then it's about us. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation. You see, it starts with going to God and recognizing who he is first and then secondarily coming and talking about our needs and and the things that we want. And we'll get through all of this in the next five weeks. And this week we'll be just talking about those first two lines, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But before we do that, I want us to... Look at what Jesus actually said before this. When they asked him to teach them to pray, he first then 
told them how not to pray. So we're going to jump back a few verses. Matthew 6, verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father um, who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. And then he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Now, it's a common way to answer when somebody says, how do you do something? You start with how not to do it. And so what Jesus does, he says, don't pray in these ways. And he addresses two dangers in prayer here. The first danger is he addresses the danger of hypocrisy. He says that there are many who, who they pray, maybe even elegant and beautiful prayers, but they pray not for God and not really even to God, They pray for themselves and for others to hear, right? Now, maybe there are some in our church that even do that. They love to pray at community group or at church on Sunday where they can pray beautifully and elaborately with large words and and sound good, but who knows if their prayer life at home is maybe an empty closet that never gets seen, right? Where they never go and kneel um, kneel before the Lord on their own. You see, Jesus says that prayer is not for those other people to see. It's for God the Father to see. So the best place for prayer is where you two can be alone. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't pray together. We see so many examples in Scripture where we should, as a community, as a church, come together and pray. But that's not for us to show off and have competitions on who prays best, right? Because sometimes, you know, I've heard people like, that person prays really good. And I'm like, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. You mean they speak well, but they don't pray better than you. You don't know because prayer happens in the heart. It's about the motive and the intentions and the faith that's behind it. And a prayer of just Lord, help me in a weak moment can be so much more powerful than a thousand words that are eloquently put together. Eloquently put together. Elegantly too, right? You know, it's not about how well you string together the English language. It's about the faith and your intention behind the words you're saying. And so Jesus here, he says, hey, I'm going to give you some prayer, but I want you to understand that it's not about saying the words. It's about the heart that's behind it. It's about the heart that's behind it. It's about the intention that you have behind it. So don't be like the hypocrites who only really pray to be heard and only really pray to show off. But instead, I want you to really have the majority of your prayer life alone with the Father, where you can be real with Him. So how do we pray? We pray first and foremost from our heart and in faith. We know know that He is our Father that hears us and And just to simply go to him as the almighty king of the universe, who's also our father, and just express ourselves to him. Right? Don't feel bad if you don't sound as good as the person praying next to you. It doesn't matter. It's about your heart. It's just about your heart. He says there's a second danger 
in prayer. He says there's a danger of familiarity. He says don't pray with vain repetitions like the heathens do. What's he talking about? Well, he's about to give them a very specific prayer. And he knows that they could just think that the power is in just these words. And so if I just kind of say these words like a mantra, then there's power in that. There is no power in just words. Words are just words. It's the belief and the faith and the heart behind the words that give it meaning. There's no special words. There's no abracadabra to prayer. It's about the heart and the faith behind it. And so he says the pagans think that they'll be heard for their many words, their repetitions, Um, That's why there is danger in just reciting memorized prayers because it can lose its meaning. And pretty soon you're just saying it and it means nothing to you. And that's actually the most dangerous thing about the Lord's Prayer because we've all heard it so much. We've heard it so much that it starts to lose its meaning. And then we think, oh, a series on the Lord's Prayer? I know the Lord's Prayer. I've had that memorized since I was four years old. Come on, give me a break here. When it becomes too familiar, it actually becomes dangerous because it loses its meaning and we take it lightly. And so I hope as we spend this time in the Lord's Prayer that we would not do that. We would almost become unfamiliar with it and let it sink in and resonate in our hearts once again. Amen? So maybe say a prayer in your mind right now and say, Lord, let me forget the prayer so I can learn it again. Lord, let me, let me stop thinking I know and try to hear this again as we go through this, and hear what you're trying to teach me through this prayer so that I can have a better prayer life and a better mindset to live 2017. So the two dangers in prayer are hypocrisy and familiarity. Jesus warns us against it. Jesus wants us to pray sincerely and in a fresh manner, right? Our prayer life the closer we get to the Father, the more that we realize what we're actually doing, speaking to the Almighty God of the universe who loves us, our prayer life should not be dull, but fresh, right? Have you ever had a stale prayer life where you feel like you're just saying the same things every time you go to prayer, pray, and you know, you go to the Word, and you feel like you're getting the same verses, and and, uh, you go and you pray about the same things, and it feels stale, it's not fresh, It's like when you've hung out with someone for a little too long and then you just start re-talking about the same convert. You're like, no, we already talked about that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You ever have that moment? You're like, oh, did I tell you about this? Like, yeah, yesterday. You're like, ah, thought I had something to talk about. (laughs) You know what I mean? But when you're in like a good relationship, things become fresh again, right? And there's new things to talk about and new things to experience. So it should be the same with the Lord. It should be fresh and, and new. And that's why, you know, I'm not against liturgy, but liturgy can be dangerous when we're just saying the same thing over and over again, but we're forgetting the meaning that's behind the words. And there's danger in that. You know, and Jesus is speaking against that. He's like, hey, saying those same words over and over doesn't do you any good. You got to believe them. It's got to be fresh. It's got to resonate with your heart. So he tells us these two dangers, and then he, he tells us that we should pray in secret, in quiet, and that we should... Um, not be like the heathens, but he says, for your father knows the things you have need before you ask him. And if you have kind of a lawyer's mind or really any sort of argumentative mind like I do, you immediately think, then why do I have to pray? Right? 
For the Lord knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. Then why should I pray? If you're sovereign, if you know all, if you know every word I'm going to say before I say it, why in the world should I pray? Most of I have had that conversation. You know, most of sometimes like, well, if he knows, why are we praying, you know? And we talk about it and... The truth is that we need prayer. We need to be close to the Father. And that happens when we're talking to him and hearing from him and spending time in his word. It doesn't happen when you're just out living your life thinking, well, I guess he'll just take care of it. You know, I don't need to talk to him. No, you need to be close to him and you need to talk to him. It's good for your soul. And prayer has truly, it has power. It changes things. It doesn't change God because God is unchanging, but there are things in your life that God will simply not do until you start praying. The Bible talks about how there are bulls in heaven. I don't know if it's literal or or just really just a metaphor, but there are bulls in heaven. He says the prayers of the saints fill them up and then they pour over. There are things in your life that God is saying, I'll do it if you pray. I won't do it if you won't pray. Prayer does change things. You want to be closer to him. Maybe you're struggling with a sin or maybe there's just this, you know, apathetic feeling in your faith. And you're like, I I want to do something. He's like, pray. See if I'll change you. See if I can change your heart. You have to pray. There are things in your life you're like, I really want to see this or that. Stop making New Year's resolutions and instead pray. And he can say no sometimes, and that's not fun. But he says no when he knows better than us. But there's a lot of times, believe me, I have seen so many answered prayers. Our community group has seen a lot of answered prayers in 2015, 2016. We saw a lot of things happen. People being healed, jobs that... um, People are praying for jobs and jobs popping up out of thin air. We've seen lots of cool things happen because we prayed and we expected the Lord to answer us. Prayer does change things. So if there's a doubt in your mind saying, well, if he knows all and he's sovereign, why should I pray? Well, first and foremost, you should pray for relationship. But secondly, you should pray because prayer does change things. Amen? (coughs) Sorry, getting over some stuff still. So you're going to have to bear with me. Well, we're going to finally get to our text for today. Today's verses are, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Seems simple at first, but when you really pay attention to those two lines, there are three key elements. One is, who are you talking to? Right? Who are you talking to? That's really the idea here. But the first part is you're talking to your father. Let that sink in though. When Jesus said this, the disciples must have been shocked. Because the Jews didn't pray to their father. They prayed to the mighty one, El Shaddai, or Lord Jehovah. Uh, I am who I am. You know, these are the words that they would pray to. This all-powerful all-knowing God. And believe me, that is who we're praying to. It is true. But to say, to really address God as Father, this would be new. 
The word is Abba. It's to be dad, daddy, father. They would have been like, really? That's how we should address the Lord. That's how we should address our father, as father, as Abba. And then second is in heaven. So this is the second part here. He's our father, but he's our heavenly father. He's not like our physical father. He is omniscient and omnipresent. He's everywhere and knows everything. He's sovereign. He's the creator and sustainer of the world. Nothing exists without him. He's, he's larger than the heavens. He's larger than space. He's larger than time. We truly are praying to this almighty, all-powerful king of the universe who's also your father. The two are not separate. They are one in who he is. But he tells us that he is our father and that he is in heaven. He's our heavenly father. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is a very Bible sounding word, isn't it? Um, It doesn't mean hollow, right? It's not like his name is hollow. It means holy is your name. Set apart is your name. Glory to your name. That's the idea of hallowed be your name. Let's start with his first one. You know, we are not the literal sons and daughters of God. Right? We are his created beings, but we are not his literal children. We are what the Bible calls um, adopted sons and daughters. We were created beings who, through the power of the cross, through Jesus, we have become adopted children of God. Now, I don't want to get overly theological. Sometimes I I read a bunch of stuff, and then I know it doesn't always resonate with everyone else in the room, right? But, you know, we are the whole world, all humans, we are not all the children of God. You're like, wait a second, we're all his children of God. Well, the Bible does not teach that. We are all his creations. But only those who believe and who are adopted in, in, who are grafted in and become one with Christ, become sons and daughters. And that's because Jesus is the true son. He is the true child of God. And we become children only by association to Jesus, only by being in Jesus. So not everyone is the child of God. They are creations and God loves them, but it is not the same as sons and heirs. The Bible says that we have become co-heirs with Christ because Christ is giving us his identity. He's really, he didn't just forgive us and and give us his blood to wash us clean, but he started saying, hey, you're going to be a son like I'm a son. You're going to be a daughter of God. You know, you are going to be an heir like I'm an heir. Think about that. It says that his identity is being given to us, and that is amazing and powerful. And so it's important for us to know that this is, this is much more specific than simply recognizing that he's our creator. This is saying, Father, so this is recognizing that we are one in Christ and that we are receiving the identity of Christ that's being given to us, that we're being covered by him, and that it's Jesus, who he sees now, he sees us all like these new creations in Christ. So this is much more specific than just saying, Father, our creator. It's Father who loves us like he loves his son. And we're not lovable in the way that Jesus is lovable. Jesus was perfect. 
and holy and gracious and merciful, and we are not those things. We're sinners and we're broken. And so for us to be loved, we're we're receiving the love that God has for the Father. He now has for us because we're in Jesus. That God has for the Son, sorry. We're now receiving because He because we are in Christ. Amen. We are adopted sons and daughters. Now, interesting, you will not find any personal pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. And we'll get to that in some other weeks and explain that. But each one of these is a community type word. Our Father in heaven, you know, and then he goes on, forgive us our debts, give us our daily bread. Now, there's no personal pronouns. And that is because um, I believe in prayer. We are to realize that we are a family in God. As he is our father, that means that all other believers are our brothers and sisters. And again, I don't want to get overly theological, but not everyone in the world is your brother and sister. And I know you know that. But I also mean not in a humanism sense. We are all not brothers and sisters. The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. We are all neighbors. But the Bible only calls brothers and sisters are those who are also believers, those who are also in Christ. So we become family in Christ. So we are all neighbors and we are to love our neighbors. We are to want the best for our neighbors. We are not all family. It is only those who are in the church. And so here we we pray to our father, realizing that we are all a family. And when you start realizing that, you start to realize the importance of community and the importance of church. And that we're in this together. We're a family. And we'll get to that as in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk more about that aspect. But it's important to know there are no personal pronouns. And that there is this huge family community aspect to the Lord's Prayer. Okay. In Romans eight fifteen, it says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So Jesus teaches us here. Come sincerely and come in a fresh, new way, anticipating to learn new things. Don't come in a stale, kind of saying the same things, repeating yourself over and over, but come in a fresh way with a sincere heart and cry out, Abba, Father. That's the first thing that Jesus teaches us about prayer. Cry out to him as your father who loves you, who wants the best for you. You see, sometimes when we're in sin, sometimes when um, we're feeling distant from God, we come to prayer and we don't just immediately run to his arms like our father. We stay back as though he's the judge, which he is, but more importantly, he's the father. We come to God as the father in prayer. If you are a believer, you come to him as a father, not as the judge because your sins have been forgiven. And we come to him as our father. Now, fathers do also make judgments and they also do discipline and they also do punish, right? Now, Lincoln sometimes acts up, right? And, um, you know, lately he's been throwing a lot of fits and he loves to throw his food when he gets mad, right? And 
I've had enough of that, so I'll give him a little swat on the hand. And most of the time, now there was this one time, I'll tell you about the one time first. I swatted his hand, and uh, he kind of looks at me, and he grabs my hand and swats it, <laughs> okay? Now, that's the only time he's done that. Every other time, my son, when I swat his hand, cries for a second and then reaches his arms out to me. And sometimes says, Dada. He wants me to comfort him, even though I was the one who swatted his hand for doing something wrong. You see, God will still discipline you. And it says that he chastises those who he, whom he loves. He will sometimes punish you. Sometimes he's going to like, you know what? You know, you can, you're not ready for that. You can't have that. I'm going to say no to that. You know, I'm going to teach you a lesson right now. But we should still run to him with arms wide open saying, Abba, Father, Dad, I still want to be close to you even when you punish me for my sin. I'm sorry I sinned, but I, can't. I want to be close to you. And you know what? He's never going to say no to that. Sin separates us from God, but Jesus closed that gap. And if you just come humbly and you come to him and you say, Abba, Father, I'm sorry, but will you just give me a hug? That's the language here that Jesus is telling us to pray with, to run with our arms open and say, just give me a hug. I need to be close to you. Even in the hard times, even in the times that we're being punished, we still run to him. Amen. So we must run to him as our father. We must be close to him like a father. But second, we must be reverent of the fact that he is heavenly and that he is holy. Now you love your father, don't you? If you had a good father, I I did, you know, I I love my father, but I also respect my father, especially as a, a child that had kind of that healthy fear of my father, right? You know, you were kind of afraid of your mom when she made threats, but then if she said, well, wait till your dad gets home, that was like, oh, <laughs> you know. That was a lot more serious than her threat, right? Because I knew there was this, you know, dad was going to punish me probably a lot harder than my mom. Like, uh, a lot of times my dad would be like, you're grounded for a month. And then they'd come back later. My mom would talk to him. She's like, okay, it's two weeks. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, But there is this healthy fear of a father. But even more so, there should be a health healthy reverence, respect, and fear of our heavenly father. Because though he is our father and we, have a, we can have a relationship with him like a father and run and just kind of hug him spiritually like we would a father, he's still heavenly, he's still holy, and he's still set apart. Now, Our Father in heaven. This is not saying that God is far away. I was reading a commentary. It said, to not view it as though God is in a different place, but in a different plane. Right? We're in this earthly realm, and he's in the spiritual realm is where his holiness resides. And and so, though God is present everywhere, he's also separate. He's also heavenly. And he's also holy. He is different than us. You know, he, he is omniscient, all-powerful, all that too, but he's also sinless. He's also perfect. You know, he's set apart and he's holy. And so we, des- we really give him that respect that he deserves, that reverence he still deserves. You know, and there's danger in familiarity. There's danger in, in maybe in some sense being too comfortable with God where you don't fear him a little bit, right? We must still think, 
Like, as big as the universe is, it can't contain him because he's bigger. We should, approaching God, feel small, reverently, still acknowledging his power and his glory and his holiness, but yet coming to him as a loving father who can embrace us. You're like, well, that's, those two things seem so different. I mean, I, it, the God of the universe who's so big and so powerful is almost so unrelatable to us. I can't relate with being outside of time. I certainly can't relate with knowing everything. But I can relate with the father side. You know, and R.C. Sproul said that we should view his, his fatherhood and his um, holiness as just kind of this pendulum that we allow to swing back and forth in our mind. And we never find exactly in the middle where it sits because we should, should just be a healthy swinging and recognizing how holy he is and gracious he is, you know, and seeing how set apart he is, yet how close and, and embracing he is. We should just kind of in our mind, in our prayer life, just be recognizing both these things side to side. And that's why it's in the same line, our Father who is in heaven. But then we get to the second part here. Hallowed be your name. Now, it seems as though hallowed be your name, right? Does that mean sometimes his name's not hallowed? That sometimes his name's not glorified? That sometimes his name's not holy? Well, yes and no. So God is obviously unchanging. He is always holy, and he is always set apart, and he will always have all glory. It's never going to go anywhere. What it's talking about is our really glorifying of him. Now, we don't add glory to God because he's already as glorious as he can be, but we give glory to him. We recognize that he's holy. We recognize that he's set apart. And we recognize that he deserves all glory and honor and praise and worship. So really, this is our action. Based upon us recognizing that he is our father and that he is heavenly and all-powerful, we then really respond by hallowing his name, by glorifying his name. Now, this is not just simply with our lips, right? Because that can be kind of easy. Just profess that he's holy and okay, I'm good. But the Bible talks about us being ambassadors of Christ. The Bible talks about us representing Christ. You know, that the way we live and the actions we, we take and the decisions we make all represent him. And in everything we do with, with prayer with our words and praising him, with our evangelizing and telling others of him, but with our actions, with our thoughts, with all of it, we can give glory to him. We can give all honor and praise to him. We can declare his holiness in all those circumstances. And that's, that's really the idea here for us to hollow to hollow his name, to give glory to his name. But here's what's really cool. Us giving glory to him improves our relationship with him. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, 
and also him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to receive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I am in this high and holy place. I am set apart. I am holy. I am glorified. But you know who's with me? The humble and the contrite of heart. When we come to God, giving him glory, humbly approaching him, we get closer and closer to him. Jesus was so humble. He showed us how we should live. He showed us in his prayer life, even he was humble, seeking the father's will, not his. And we so often dare to go to God and tell him how to do things. You ever done that? Here, here God, here's my plan. Make it happen or I will stop believing. It's absurd. It's absurd for us to go to God and pray with a proud heart. Jesus taught us as the son of God, as the second part of the Trinity, who had all power and all glory and it was all given to him. Yet he prayed. Yet he still seeked the father's will. Yet he was still humble, humble enough to wash his disciples' feet. I've seen a couple of your feet. (laughs) I'm just kidding, Tyler. (laughs) And I wouldn't wash them, right? Because I'm not as humble as Jesus. You know, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, that was for the lowest of the low servants. You know how like sometimes on a job site, you give the worst job to the new guy? It was like that, but even worse, right? It was like the guy who never moved up. That was just, you were just a foot washer. That's just your role as a servant or a slave in that culture. And Jesus chose to be the lowest of all, take the worst job. You know, for us, it would be an example of you come to church and you pick the thing you want to do least instead of the thing you want to do most. You hear of needs and you, instead of picking the one that sounds the most fun for you to take care of, you pick the one and you're like, <coughs> man, you pick the one that you don't want to do, right? Somebody's like, hey, I really need this. And you go, Oh, that sounds horrible. I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to help them there. That's the kind of thing we must do. Be humble. But we also approach God in prayer humbly. We approach him humbly in prayer. God says that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I've said this when we're in the James series and read that verse. I don't know about you, but I do not want God, God of the universe, to oppose me. I don't want him to oppose my life. I want the opposite of that. I want grace. I want more grace. I don't know about you, but I hope that we don't want him opposing our life. And so that means we must pray to him humbly, come before him humbly, give all glory, honor, praise to his name. And then in our life, as we're out at our jobs, as we're out in our social circles, as, as we're out in traffic, as we're at the grocery store when we're in a bad mood and the line is really long and they don't have enough people to check us out, we're still there representing him, amen? And that person maybe is having a bad day too, so we need to love them, right? In every moment we represent him. In every moment, we should pursue to live like him so that we can give more glory to him. The Shorter Catechism, which was a theological document, I don't agree with maybe every single point on it, it's from like the 15 or 1600s, but it starts with it saying that man's end is to give God glory and enjoy him thoroughly. 
And I love that. That's how it starts. Man's purpose is to give God glory and, in, and to enjoy him thoroughly, completely. I love that. What is our purpose? To give him glory. But you know what? When we're doing that, we find out that it's the most joy-filled life that can possibly be lived because we're close to him, because God's close to the humble. He's near to those who have a contrite heart and come to him humbly saying, Lord, I need you. Your will be done, not my will. Lead me. Don't let me try to tell you what to do. Rebuke me of that, Lord, and let me just listen to what you want. Now, of course, we'll learn even in this prayer that we can go and ask God for things. But we don't tell God what to do. We ask humbly. Amen? We ask humbly. You know what? He's a loving father. And a lot of times he wants to say yes. A lot of times he's just waiting because he is a loving father. But we have to respect him as well and give glory to him. Come to him humbly. In Psalms 115.1, it says, Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. You know, so as we're, we're talking about 2017. And there are things that we really are hoping for our church. There are some very practical things, right? That we, we, we will talk about at tomorrow's meeting. We're having an all-church meeting tomorrow at 7 o'clock at my house. And I want to ask you guys to fast tomorrow with us. We talked about it with some of the leaders, and we are going to all be fasting tomorrow. And we're going to meet together at my house at 7 o'clock tomorrow. We're going to be talking about some very specific details. There's some stuff we're going to have to just talk about. There are very practical aspects. Some of it will be boring to you. Others of you will find it very interesting. And then we will be really just talking about the heart of our church and what we hope to see in this year, and then just spending some time in prayer. But I want us to, to just fast tomorrow. Don't eat anything until after the meeting. And so I want to invite all of you to participate in that fast with us, and then come to the meeting tomorrow. And we're going to be really just seeking the Lord's will for a lot of things. But that's the thing. We want what God wants for our church. Amen? You know, that's why we're doing the Lord's Prayer, because in the Lord's Prayer, it's all about going to the Father, going to the Heavenly One, going to the All-Powerful One, And then we say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to him. And so this year, as we look at this prayer, we're learning to pray. Right? And you're like, well, I already know how to pray. No, let's learn again. Let's let this be fresh again. Let's learn from this prayer. And say, Lord, there was so much power in your life because of your prayer life. So teach me to pray through this series. Teach me to pray like you pray, Christ. So we're learning to pray, but as we learn to pray, this series is going to teach us how we should think about the world. This series is going to teach us how we should view others around us. This series is going to teach us how we should view this year. And here's the thing. I want what God wants for this year. How about you? There's maybe some things that I would like to see and I'm going to go humbly to him and I'm going to ask to see him. But ultimately I want to see what God wants to see for our church. But there are some things that are universal for all all churches that God wants to see in all churches. He wants us to, he wants all of us to change and transform and become more like him. 
And so for this year, I want us to seriously pray about sins on our life. Maybe you're blind to some things that you do. You don't even know you do it. Maybe your spouse does, but, <laughs> right? Maybe there's some things that you just, bad habits you just can't break. <clears throat> Whatever it is, this is the year that we're going to transform. This is the year that we're going to say, no, not anymore. I'm casting those things aside. I'm going to them. That's universal for all of his churches. He wants us to transform. He wants us to be more and more like him. And he wants us to glorify his name and have us let the whole world know about the message of the gospel and the message of reconciliation and forgiveness of sins and restoration that can happen through the gospel. And so let this be the year that you make changes, but let it also be the year that you go to work and finally share the gospel with that person you've been avoiding. You know, I was thinking about this recently. Sorry, this is one of those sermons. As I was preparing, there was so much on my mind I didn't know where to go with. You ever have something like, you just have one of those moments where you're like, there's so much on your mind, I don't even know where to begin. I'm going to go down this rabbit trail for a little bit. You know, I was recently thinking about this, but the gospel is so much simpler to tell and to explain to someone than you think it is. For some reason... Satan has blinded the church to think that it is this extremely complicated, extremely difficult, extremely nerve-wracking thing that you should be scared of and is going to be terrible when you try it. Satan will always tell you that that person's going to get mad at you and not want to be your friend anymore if you tell him. He's going to tell you that every time you think about that person. Satan and his demons will lie to you every single time and say, don't share are you crazy? Do you want to be the crazy one? Don't share. Satan will never say, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, have fun. Tell that person the gospel. He's not going to do that. Satan wants the message stopped. But we're called to, as believers, to share. And so this year, let it be the year that we go, shut up, Satan. I don't have to live in your lies anymore. I don't have to listen to you anymore. Jesus defeated you, so go away. I'm fleeing from you, and you know what? He'll flee from you. When you call him out for his lies, you'll stop believing him, and he'll stop lying to you. Because you're recognizing that it's a lie, so it has no more power. It's only when we think that it's true that it has power, or we start to believe him in the back of our head. Yeah, if I share, it's going to be terrible. I was watching this really, really bad movie. Not bad in a you know, sinful way, but just bad in a critical way. It's called After Earth. It's Will Smith did it with his son. You know? I'd always wanted to see it, like cool imagery. And I knew the reviews were like, it had something like 9% of Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know. But I ran it out on Netflix, okay? Got the DVD, put it in. We watched it. Terrible, right? For some reason, Will Smith and his son did weird accents that like, were completely inconsistent. One scene would be really strong, and the next, scene, like, the next scene, he sounds like Fresh Prince. Like, it didn't make sense. Like, it was his worst acting, and I love Will Smith. It was terrible. Terrible movie. The CGI was pathetic. But there's a scene in there where Will Smith is talking about fear. And these monsters, they can only see you if, they, if you fear them, because they're blind and they smell fear. And he learned at one point when one of them stabbed him in the arm, he said, I don't want that there anymore. And he just stopped fearing the monster and pulled it out. And the monster couldn't see him. And then it was called ghosting. And they, 
the ones who can not fear the monsters can walk around killing the monsters because they can't see them. Okay, it's a really dumb movie. And his son has to learn how to not be scared of them. But he says, <clears throat> in the movie, Will Smith says that I realized, his character says, I realized that fear is not real. That it is my imagination of a future that I do not know if it will happen or not. I'm paraphrasing. Fear is our assumptions about the future. Now, he's, he's, danger is very real, but fear is not real. It's made up. It's in our mind. And you know that's true. It really is. There's some good theology there. Fear is not real. It's in your mind. It's you thinking something that will happen that may or may not. You know, I read a statistic that something like 90% of what we fear or have anxiety about will never happen. The other like 5% is stuff that's already happened. Or maybe it's 90% is that is either will never happen or already did happen. The majority of our stress, anxiety, and fear, 90% of it already did happen or will never happen. And then like 5% of it will happen and won't be as bad as we thought. And then the other 5% may actually happen to us. So there's really only 5% of the things that you're fearful or stressed about that actually are deserving of it. And you don't actually know what it is. So there's no real purpose in being stressed about it, anxious about it, or fearing it. That's why Jesus says, fear not. You know, he, he says, do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you will wear. You know, Jesus tells us that fear is our enemy. The Bible says that all the time. It says, fear not, for I am with you. And then when it comes to the most important message that the world has ever known, a life-saving message for those who do not believe, a message that could literally change someone's life for the better, change their eternal state, we, we fear that maybe they won't like us. We fear that maybe they'll tell our coworkers that we're that weird Christian guy. You see, we, we fear things. But you know, in my experience, I used to, I haven't done it in some time. I'm wanting to get back into doing more street evangelism. I've only done it maybe a couple times in the last year, but I used to do it a lot. And you know, 90% of the time, I'll walk up to somebody, say, hey, can I talk to you for a little bit? If you don't, I would say, I would always say, I would put the decision in their hands. I would always say, if at any moment you don't want to talk anymore, just tell me and we'll stop. 90% of the time, they would talk to me. About 5% of the time, they'd say, no, I don't, I don't really want to talk. And another 5% of the time, maybe they'd flip me off or tell me to go away or say, you crazy person. You know? But I remember over and over again, when we, would, we were in Bible college, we'd go out like a couple times a weekend oftentimes, and we'd take somebody new, and they were always scared. And by the end of it, they said, people always talk to us. They almost always talk to us. I never assume that people actually want to hear good news. <laughs> right? Which is crazy of us to think that, because here's the thing. They actually don't know the gospel. A lot of times we think that they do, but they don't. They know maybe religion. Maybe they know Jesus' name. But oftentimes they have not really heard of grace. They think it's still about them being good. Most people, that's what they think the gospel is. You're just going to tell me that I'm a sinner and I need to be good. No, I'm telling you that you're a sinner. And you know what? There's a savior who loves you and who died for you and who took your sin so that you wouldn't 
perish, but that you could have everlasting life. That's what I'm here to tell you. And even if you were good, you'd still go to hell because you need to believe in Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel isn't try to be better than your neighbor. Be better than half the people so that you can go to heaven. That's not none of that. It's not that you need to be 51% so you can be 49% bad. 51% good, 49% bad. That's not the message of the gospel. The gospel is that you had to be 100% and only Jesus is 100%. And he gives you that identity. He gives you his grace. He gives you his blood. And he brings you into the kingdom in his own identity. And so we have nothing to fear with sharing the gospel. And I know it's a long tangent. I didn't really plan on talking about any of that. Well, this has to be the year for us, church, that we decide, I want to be transformed and I want to see others transformed. If we can't come to terms and say that is the heart of our church, then we have to stop doing it. Because I'm not setting up chairs and tables for y'all for another year or two if we're just going to kind of hang out as a clique. I'll close it down. That's not a threat. It's just a reality, okay? Because there isn't a point. You know, my heart for planning a church was not for us to just kind of gather some other Christians who were like-minded and who don't really like the stone anymore or don't really like Vox anymore, you know, or et cetera churches, which are, by the way, good churches and I have nothing against them. That's not why we started this church. We started this church because we want to be transformed and we want to see others transformed. We want to make disciples We want to see people grow in their faith. We want to see people come to faith who never believed before. And you know, there are so many people who are sitting at home right now feeling empty, depressed, and sad, and need us to share the gospel with them. And so if you're looking for just a good service, we're not providing the best service. Our children's ministry is not the best children's ministry. I'm not the best preacher. And Melissa's not the best singer. We know that, okay? <laughs> like, and if we're in a competition with other churches in town, they are doing some things better than us. And that is fine because we're all a part of the body. And God says that we're here to represent him and to reach out. And that's why we need church plants. Because church plants are normally, if you look at statistically, they are so much more evangelistic And that's why we constantly need more churches because churches are closing down. And when new churches open, they're almost always more evangelistic. So that has to be true of us too. We exist to reach others and to give him glory. I'm going long for sure. So maybe we'll just cut it to maybe one song. Um, Today we're going to be partaking of communion. Um, we're, we're mixing it up, no cups this week. Uh, it's not to gulp down either. Um, take a piece of bread and dip it, and um, you can go, return to your table and maybe repeat the Lord's Prayer or pray a prayer that is inspired by the Lord's Prayer. As Melissa leads us in a song of worship, I will read Luke 22 as we read the verses for communion. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This 
cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you sent your only begotten Son to die on a cross on our behalf. Lord, and as your Son gave us this beautiful symbol to remember him by, well, I pray we would do exactly that as we pray that we will remember the work that you've done for us, the love that you so graciously lavished upon us, that we would approach your throne as the heavenly Father, recognizing all of your attributes, those that we can relate with and those that we can't. But we come to you humbly, remembering all that you have done, seeking your will for this year. Lord, I pray that you would do transformation in all of our hearts today and that you would use us in this city for for great purposes, Lord. That you would use us in this city to spread your gospel and to make your name known and to represent it well. Jesus, we thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.